0: So Craig, thank you for getting us started in prayer and and for praying for for Carla and the family. Um, But we're going to jump back into our, our unit that we started last week on the doctrine of the church. And we kind of started with the very basics last week in the sense of how do you answer questions about the church that it's probably more... Um, diverse. There's more diverse thinking about this topic than maybe any other topic in scripture and theology. As you look at the history of the Christian Church and you look at different ways that people have answered questions of what's the church supposed to do and what's the church supposed to believe and and what are we supposed to do when we gather together as the church and how do we make decisions as to be in the church. And there's all kinds of different ways people approach that. And you look at different thinking structures and there's people make it based on lot those decisions on logic or maybe experiences of, this is my experience of what church has been. And so I ex- expect this experience somewhere else. Uh, people make the decision on tradition, that this has been the tradition that me and my parents and my grandparents were growing up in. And so this is what we do because it's just our tradition. Um, and a lot of times it's pragmatics, right? Of what works best. And there's not, I'm not saying that those don't have a place. I think that any church, there's certain things where that does come into the thinking. But the problem is, as we looked at last week, that those really should be the secondary questions, right? The secondary questions should be what people's experience or tradition or what, what, is, you know, what is the people that, you know, pragmatically that God has called us to and that are in the church or in the community. Those aren't bad questions, but those should always be second, right? Because in any other question, is our life as a Christian, if we're to ask, how should we live our life as a Christian, the first question we should ask is what? What What does the Bible say? What does God's word say? And so it's not to say that there are not secondary questions, secondary other issues that we can come to, but we always need to say, well, what does God's word say about the church? And we looked at last last week, just to set us up, that God has sufficiently revealed in his word, he's not laid out every single detail, right? What should the carpet color be? And should you have a one-story building or a two-story building? He doesn't lay out some of those things, but, but God has laid out everything we need to know to make those decisions. In his word, he tells us what we need to know about what is the church and what's the purpose of the church, what's the church for, and what is the church supposed to do <laughs> And when we start to think through those categories, then, then we need to, to, to first make our decisions of what we do as a church on those categories, um, and then secondarily on, on, on other factors. But before we get into a lot of these other factors and other questions, we do have to look at that most basic question of what is the church? That's what we're going to look at this morning, and if we don't finish, we'll pick it up next, uh, in two weeks after, after Proswell gives his, his missionary report next week. Um, did I start I did start this? Okay, good. Um and so we're gonna and we're gonna um do a little bit of review. I'm not gonna cover everything I covered in my sermon earlier this month, as we're also going through that sermon series of church basics. But this is a time um, that I can. There's certain things I just don't have time for in in sermons on that. that We're going to be doing some sermon series on that, so I'll cover a few things we don't have time for, and that maybe are more appropriate for a Sunday school class. Also, at the time, if you have questions or clarifications on some of the things I said, um, uh, as we look into that. But let's talk about what is a church. Uh, The first point of my sermon a few weeks ago, and the first point today is the church is a people, not a place. I think that's so important. That is that is the most foundational truth we need to get into our heads, and 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 that's all of us. That's me too. So often we start to think of the church as a place, and and maybe not a place like a building, but a nebulous place, a nebulous group of people. Oh, the church! Oh, the church is doing this. Oh, it's not. It's people. The church is the people that that that, that, that make up that that church. And so, and just think about the word we use here. Church, actually the English word and and actually German derivatives and other derivatives of that word actually come uh, from the Greek word kiriakos, meaning belonging to the Lord. Kiriakos, church, that's the idea there. That's not the New Testament meaning. When the New Testament says church, that's not what it means. But that's where we get our English word from, from the German that's where we get that word from. But in the New Testament, when you look in the New Testament and you find the word church, like in Matthew 16 and and and, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, the word that we translate as church is ekklesia. That's probably you guys have probably heard that before. Ekklesia. I don't like to get a lot into Greek, but I think this is going to help us as we think about this. Now, how many of you ever heard that ekklesia means called out ones, right? It's been heard before. If you're saying "ek ekklesia, uh, I'm going to just write it in English, klesia, "ek" means out. Klesia uh, can be really from that verb uh, kaleo or called. So out, called out. You break down the word. Here's the problem. It, it, it sounds really good, but it's about the same as saying that butterflies are sticks of butter that fly in the air. Right? That's what, if you start to do that with words, you have to be careful. The question's not, is that what the parts of the word mean, but is that how the New Testament authors meant them to be used? I think there's some interesting things, but we have to be careful in the same way with English, right? Have you ever thought about that? Butterfly. Butter, it's, not, it's not butter that flies, right? Actually, I have no idea. I, I, I'd be curious. Does anyone know the etymology of that word? How do we get butterfly? Um, you, know, you, you just have to be careful of, of how do you look, you know. That, that when Paul's writing this word and when, when Matthew's writing this word, is that what Matthew and Paul mean? I, I, I don't think so. And here's the reason why. If you look how that word ecclesia is used in the New Testament and also in the surrounding literature, that we see a different meaning. that's not that we're not called out, but there's a different picture that's given there than, than what's given there. That if we look in really in, in um, if I remember, it's a uh, uh, Plato and others, and other Greek literature, secular Greek literature in the first century, the word ecclesia, which we translate as church, is simply meant a gathering or an assembly of people. So if you have an assembly of citizens in the city for a city decision or a city vote, that's the ecclesia. It's the group, it's the assembly of citizens coming together in the city. That's what the ecclesia was, an assembly or gathering. In fact, in our New Testament, turn turn to Acts 19. Again, I apologize. I, I, I don't like to be a Greek nerd in our class just because I think our English Bibles are, are so excellent. But there are some times that nuances, it, it, help, it, can, it can help. If you look at Acts 19, <clears throat> it's talking about this riot in Ephesus. Uh, look down at verse 32. Now, some cried out one thing, some another for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. So this is the assembly of all the Ephesians coming together for this riot. You know what word is used for assembly? Ecclesia. Now, your English translations are not trying to misread the Greek because whatever word functions in context, right? What's the difference between, I always say cell, right? Cell can have different contexts. Right, cell phone is very different than prison cell, which is very different than cellular biology. Right, depends on the context. Right, you don't have a prisoner saying you're going to you're going to put me in a cell. I get I get cell phone service here. That's great. No, it's it's, it's all about the context. And the same thing here. Your English translations are. It's, it's very clear that this is not talking about the the New Testament gathering of the people of God, the church. This is talking about just a regular gathering of people. But it's the same word that's used. It's this, this idea that's used throughout that, that New Testament Greek. And it's also used in verse 39 and verse 41 in the same way of this gathering of people is that word ecclesia. It's, a, it's this assembly of people. What is, what is an ecclesia? It's an assembly of people. It's the gathering of the people. Um, in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, so it, 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 in Jesus' time, in the disciples' time, in the first century, um, there, were, there were many that, that could read the Hebrew Old Testament, but the most popular use, uh, used version of the Old Testament is actually a translation. So, it's actually, so th- that's why we even have biblical reasons for translations, right? That Jesus and the disciples used translations. Um, they used a Greek translation of the Old Testament. That it was common throughout that day. And we see that that word ecclesia was also used to describe in the Old Testament the assembly of God's people. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 31:30. Deuteronomy 31:30. Deuteronomy 31.30 says that Moses spoke the words of this song, the song of Moses, until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. That assembly in Hebrew is kahal, but in the Greek translation of, the, of, that, of that word kahal, the, common, the, the word the most us, you know, usually used for that Greek translation of kahal, of the assembly, is ecclesia. Yeah,
1: Mm-hmm. before the establishment of the church and it was even translated before that church. Yes, yes. And so this was before the church this, yes.
0: existed and they used that word. Yes. So before the church existed, before, the church, before Jesus instituted the church in Matthew 16, before the Holy Spirit came down and, and, and formed the church in, in, at Pentecost, we see that this, church, this, this word church was not coming from a vacuum. It's not like Jesus is making up a new word church. Here, here's kind of what church is. He's, we could say that the church was formed at Pentecost. I, I don't think there's anything wrong saying there, but that idea of what the church is, that word that Jesus chose to use, had background within his own culture. And that's what Elias is saying. It's already established that people understood that this, when it when you talk about this ecclesia, it's talking about the assembly of the people.
1: And that- Translation happened in Alexandria, Egypt, in the year 250 BC, yes. by Ptolemy II, and Kathy's got a coin from that.
0: Well, there you go. But more, impor- more important, that that it, it was, was, more important than that is that it was it was more important that is it was well it was well established. Yes. It was a well established idea of this. So when 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 well, I'm, let me use it one more. Let me give you one more verse. Turn over. I know a lot of flipping. Uh, turn back over to Acts seven. So you're saying, well, you know, that's a translation of the Old Testament. You know how. How do you, you know, but we look at Acts 7 and saying that it's not just in the Old Testament that the people of God, Israel, was called the ecclesia, the assembly, which in the New Testament is called the church. In the New Testament, the people of God in the Old Testament is also called the ecclesia. Look in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Here's Stephen's speech. He's giving the history of Israel as he, as he confronts the, uh, the, the the I think it's Pharisees or the religious Jews. And he says this in verse 38. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Some of you uh, on that uh, congregation might have a little footnote that may say down down below. It says, or church. Um, I can't remember which version. I think maybe it's NIV. I'm not it says sure. Assembly. NIV? Assembly. Yes. Oh, Assembly, okay. King James okay, King James. There we go. That, that's what it is. So so what you have there, and, and because it's the word ecclesia, applying to Old Testament Israel. Now, here, get me straight here. I am not saying that Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church are the same. I'm not saying that. That's not my point. My point is that this term is used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, referring to the people of God of the Old Testament, Israel, and in the New Testament, talking to the people of God of the church. I, I think that there are, there are, there's differences in the Christians of, of the relationship of Israel to the church, I, but using that word does not mean that they're the same thing. But what I am saying is that God has always planned on displaying his glory not just through saving individuals. That's never been God's plan. But through building a corporate body of people who bear God's name. In the Old Testament, it was to, to bring about a corporate body of people in Israel. And in the same thing in the New Testament, to bring about this corporate body of people in the church. There There's some similarities and dissimilarities between Israel and the church. But the point is that through both, We're talking about that God is working through a corporate group, a group of people that he would be glorified through. And so, as Elias pointed out, that when Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, the very first time we see the idea of this New Testament church, we'll look at later, Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus says, and and on you, you know, uh, uh, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. Jesus is not making up a word. He's not making up some idea. This is an idea that was already established. There was some sort of idea. He's not talking about a building. He's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about you know any of those sort of ideas. He's talking about an assembly of people. So from the very beginning is that the context of this is that church is a people, not a place. It's not a building, not an abstract construct, not an organization. It is an assembled group of people. The assembly, the congregation—that is what was. That was the context of when Jesus specifically chose to use that word of what he was going to build. And, and uh, let, me, let me stop there, and then we'll, we'll continue on. But any questions so far? I, I covered that in my sermon as well. So, but is there any questions or clarifications on that? I seem some some faces say I'm, I'm good, and some faces say maybe I'm not so good. But are we are we get there, okay? All right. And, and, and specifically, then when you look at the New Testament, it flushes that out. That's the context. It's a, it's a group of people. And the New Testament starts to flush that out. Who is this group of people? And in the New Testament, especially turn to Ephesians. In Ephesians, we start to see that this group of people is a, a, it's a, it's a regenerate people. It's not just a group of citizens. It's not just a, a group filled of both believers and non-believers that are underneath some um, some covenant where some are saved and not some are not saved, but it is actually this regenerate people that is bound together to become the church. Uh, look at Ephesians two. This is I read this in my sermon, but I think this is this is this is the picture of what what Jesus does or what God does when He creates the church. Where it says, therefore remember. Oh, sorry, verse 11, 2, 11, Therefore remember. by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Um, and, going. And, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have, we both have access to one spirit, to the father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's what God does in this idea. What is this assembly? Well, this assembly is God bringing regeneration to to different people, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female. And he's bringing them and uniting them together to become one assembly, one assembly, to be a, a a a corporate group of people, it's not just well here's all these people that are that are of the same group and some of them are saved and some of them are not like we see in Old Testament Israel, but no it's 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 God is saving from every from 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 all kinds of backgrounds and is bringing them and uniting them together to become the church. So what does it mean to become the church? It means to be first of all that you are regenerate, that you are saved, and that you are brought then into fellowship with other people, different types of people, right Right here, Jews and Gentiles, people that are like us, people that are different from us, that we we have have covenanted together to love one another as God's church, different ages and races and sexes, different political affiliations, different personal preferences. We have been reconciled to God, which means we are showing that by being reconciled together as God's spiritual family. That's what the church is. And so it's just, and, this, and, and I'll take some questions in a second, but this has a couple pragmatic issues, you know, really important, or I say applicable issues. First of all, when you start thinking about how do you structure the church? Should you have different services for different types of people? Here's our, here's our, our, our old people service, here's our young people service.
1: What?
0: I'm, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> But it's very common, right? It's very common today. Um, and and I, I'm not saying they're false churches. We'll talk about that later. This is not false churches. But I think that what you're doing is you're jumping what the Bible says and you're jumping over that into, into some more pragmatics. And I think that it's not ordered according to God it has to be ordered. I think they're true churches. I think people, there's, there are many churches who do this that are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ trying to love God and love each other. But I would say that they are not being able to experience all that God has called them to experience in the church because they are separating what God has tried to join together. Right? When you have different services for different age groups or different services for different preferences or different styles, is that, that one of the ways that we are the church is the fact that we are different people, that we have no reason to be together except because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. That, that there, there There should be people that you look at and saying, when it comes to just normal life, I have to have no reason to be friends with them. I can't think of any we uh, us and the mulkies and my preferences and the mulkies preferences are about as night and day. They want to be out, 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 and I want to be in, in, in. <laughs> they want to be outside in a in a in, in a tent on side of the on the side of a mountain, and I want to be inside with a cup of of coffee and a Starbucks reading a book. <laughs> and I love them, and I'm so thankful for them. And, and, and I want to, and I, and I love spending time with them, right? And, and, and there are these things of, of, huh? Wait, what? Inside. <laughs> Inside. <laughs> hey, I, I've joined outside every once in a while, but uh, but there's there's this there is this, and, and it's the same thing when you get to bigger issues, right? When you look at issues of of of, of generation gaps, right? When you look at issues of race, when you have issues of politics. Um, I think that it's. I think one of the most amazing testimonies, um, and I'm not going to get too political here, but I think one of the most amazing testimonies is that there were churches across the United States where the day after the last presidential election, where there are people who were adamantly, you know, voting for the Democrat candidate, there are churches adamantly voting for the Republican candidate. They could come and worship together because what matters most is that they worship the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that it's not separate. So that what, what, what our what our culture wants is this unity. That we're all going to think the same, we're going to believe the same, and, and we need to have this unity, even though we're not Demo- you know, Democrats or Republicans. We need to have unity, whether we're black or white or, A- white or Asian or Latino, and we need to try to pr- have this unity. The problem is that, that the secular worldview has nothing to base that unity on. Mm. Nothing. There's nothing that's going to draw that, that unity together. And so they're going to strive for unity, and, and yet dis- despite the desire for unity, our, our society becomes more and more fragmented yeah. and more and more, more, and more polarized. Where the church is supposed to be the exact opposite, and, and we see throughout history the church has been the exact opposite. At least the faith, the faithful church that's living according to this, and that's why that, that according to later in Ephesians it says that the the that those the, the the in the heavenly places and I think in the world would stop and wonder. They wonder how is how is that existing, right? And, and that's something that we can't do as an individual Christian, only as the assembled body of Christ in the church.
1: Even the one body, which is in the Bible, mm-hmm. all the time. Would yeah. That also, could that? Could we talk about like different ages
0: and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's all one. You, body. We need each other, right? Then yeah. He
1: says that so clearly.
0: Yeah, you can't say if any 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 part to say I don't need I have no That's need right? exactly. of you, right? As Pastor Bob talked on that last week. Okay. Yeah. It also
1: says that the younger are supposed to learn from right. the older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't learn from them
0: if you don't spend time with them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I you know again so I think that, that that's why it's it's so important. I think it's so and that's one of the reasons I I enjoy. Again, it's not wrong if you don't do it this way, but the reason we structure certain things with church is is intentional. We intentionally want the children to stay up for a good chunk of the service. We intentionally do not have a a separate junior high and high school youth option during the the the, the sermon and the series because there is a picture of of those who are regenerate should be together that we're together and we're learning from each other and that we are we are at times even submitting to each other of realizing that that's not my preference of how it's going to be at church it's not my tr- experience of how it is that's not my tradition of how it is and yet that's this part of it when we bring together this diversity of the body and so um other thoughts questions comments there
1: what are your uh, uh what's your opinion on the uh situation where you know when we go through and sing the songs and stuff and then they dismiss the kids to go to their yeah Bible
0: school. i i think <clears throat> i think that that we have families that do both that 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 would take use of that and not and i think that that's something that that has been looked at um i think that there there's an aspect of at the young age level which let's be honest um Many of them are, are, are not regenerate. Or if they are regenerate, we're not completely sure yet. It's just a tough age, right? And so to say that there's, there's some in- intensive teaching, intensive focus time for that, I think that there's, there's some wisdom in that. But I think it's a wisdom option to say, uh, we have families that, that do, do not partake in that. And I think that's fine. I think we have families that do partake in that. And that's fine. We have some that do 50-50. I mean, with Isaac, we are, he does it sometimes, and then we're, you know, we're already starting to train him because we want that when he's in upper elementary school, we don't want it to be a huge transition to say, this is, the church is not children's church. It's not Sunday school classes. It's not youth group. That's not the church. The church, if you're all with just people just like you, that's not what is being described as a church, that you need to be able to be used to, to being with, with, with the whole assembly. And we want to transition him. And so, that, But again, I think those are wisdom decisions. But I think that those are some of the thinking that comes into that of why with the youngest that we, we have that option. So, yeah. Yeah, Tony. You know, when Tony.
1: our girls were little and at, the time the, at that time, our church had evening services. Mm-hmm. And that was a perfect way to have your child sit through mm-hmm. an hour evening service get used to being in Big Church and, mm-hmm. and it was a nice way it did, it wasn't as formal as a morning service is mm-hmm. it was really nice but yeah. too the, the church gave way to no evening service yeah. but our kids were able to be in that even though Eric Carrie would roll down under the pews Yeah <laughs> so Hey so there's I, a
0: lot I, of there's a lot of there's a lot of training and a lot of working yeah. through that yeah but
1: it was it
0: yeah, yeah. And I think that there's opportunities even as it is. I was thankful. I think I think you guys were the ones who gave us the article from uh, Piper, Piper's wife, right? Wasn't it you guys that gave us the article? Piper's wife? Yeah, wrote about and, and how to, maybe it was somebody else that gave a mandate. And how to start training your children um, to be able to be, and, 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 and so, because um, it takes intentionality. It's a huge shift Um, if if a parent's not working towards that once you hit, and we're like, yeah, there's no more children's church option because you need to be part of the, the body. And so, yeah. Good, good question. Other questions?
1: You know, yeah. I, I just have a comment. We have four grandchildren from seven to one. And our seven-year-old knows Scripture. And it's because she, uh, she's been taught Scripture since mm-hmm. she's been a little girl, since she's been a baby. Mm-hmm. And so little kids understand. Even though we think they're out playing or climbing or anything, they hear, mm-hmm. and some of it is retained. Mm-hmm. So it is sometimes mm-hmm. good to have yeah. little ones.
0: Well, let's, let's continue on. You know, as, as we're seeing that the church is not just um, – is, is not all, so the first point is it's a regenerate people, not a place. So it's, it's specifically not just a group of people. It's a regenerate group of regenerate people. Um, but also look, look real quickly at Matthew as we'll – I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, again, because I, I spent some time in my sermon on this. Um, but I do want to cover it. I think it's important. Um, And you start late, you get crunched for time. That's what happens, right? All right. Um, But we look at at Matthew 16 is where we first see the first New Testament mention of that idea of the church. They come, the disciples come, Jesus says, who do people think I am? He wants to see if they, they know the right answer about who he is. Uh, they say people say different things. Who do you say I am? Peter, Simon Peter has the right answer. You are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood is not not revealed to you. This is the, this is, this is the divine insight. I speak for heaven and you have the right answer of, of, of right confession. And then verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he stri- and then he strictly charged disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Mm. And so this church, this is where Jesus found the church. Um, as, as I said, that it's 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 on both Peter and his confession. He's using a wordplay. Peter's the rock. On this rock I build my church. What makes Peter the rock? It's not that he was the first pope. It's that he had the right confession. It's the right confessor with the right confession. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks because uh, obviously we're not going to finish everything this week. Um, but how does he? How is the church going to be built? He's. He, I am building my church. How? Well, he gives him the keys of the kingdom. Keys are a sign of authority, right? Uh, authority of locking and shut, of shutting and opening of who can get in, who can get out. Um, and wh- how do these keys work? They bind and loose. And I've covered this a couple times. I'm going a little fast, um, but. These, these keys bind and loose. That's what they do. To, to bind is the idea of sticking. So these keys are glue keys, I guess you could say, right? They stick things together or they unstick things apart, right? So they're keys with maybe super glue on the one side and nail polish removed from the other side. I don't know. It, it, it's, but that's the idea here is that these keys, the way that God builds his church is that he sticks people, these gospel confessors with the right confession together. Again, regenerate, regenerate membership. Re- these regenerate people, he sticks them together into his church. That's what baptism is. Right? That's what baptism is. Baptism is this aspect of, of, of is not just, hey, we're gonna baptize you, go, go ahead, you know, hope we'll see you someday. Right? Is that, that there is a, a baptizing and teaching them. Right? Baptism is part of the Great Commission, which is not just we baptize and let you go. You baptize, and that's a commitment that you're sticking together, that historically, baptism always led to whatever it was whatever membership was some sort of membership and commitment to the local church right that that unless there was not a local church like with the Ethiopian Eunuch that's why we we're saying that baptism is not require or membership's not required for baptism because the bible doesn't say that because clearly the Ethiopian Eunuch went and went on his way but almost every single person within the first couple millennia of the church if you were baptized that meant then you were coming underneath the, the oversight of that church, right? You, you're being stuck together, right? You're saved and you're stuck together because there was no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians, except really on those, the, the edges of the mission field. And then the same thing, that, 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 that those keys were also to loose apart, when there wasn't that, when there was a, the, the, a failure to have that right confession and those right confessors, when people weren't living, you know, in, in that gospel confession, they were to loose them from the fellowship, right? That they were to put outside the, the, the membership and the fellowship of the church. That's what church discipline is. Binding and loosing. Sticking and unsticking. So you see that when we're talking about the church, you can't stick and unstick to an individual person. I'm not sticking and unsticking to me. It's to this assembled group of people. It's talking about an assembled group of people, right? Um, and, 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 well, we see, well, that's what Peter's supposed to do. And as I've t- taken us many times, look over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. In verses 18 through 20, earlier in verse 18, we see this process of church discipline, of this, this loosing, this unsticking. What happens when someone, a brother, is unrepentant in their sin, Not that they sin, but they are unrepentant and they sit there and they refuse to repent of this sin. Well, what happens is you go through this process of church discipline and ultimately you tell it to the church. And then look what Jesus says about the church. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among, there I am among them. That sounds very familiar. That's the exact words Jesus just said to Peter in, in Matthew 16. This binding and loosing. Well, who does the binding and loosing? Who builds the church? The assembled church as it is. Right? The, Peter and the apostles, they're gone. But that authority of recognizing the right gospel confessors and baptizing them and bringing them into membership, that is left up to every local assembled body of the church. And the same way of, of loosing from fellowship, that is left up to the assembled body of the church, not to the pastor, not to the elders, to the church. Right? The church that, that that's an act of the church together. Um, as we are because as pastors and elders, we can make a declaration that this person's a new member. Great. You know what, what really makes them a new member is the the, the sticking together, right? Mm-hmm. The incorporating them into the fellowship. That that's what making them a new member is. It's not adding them to an Excel sheet. I have an Excel sheet file, yes, with the members of our church. But just because you're a name on an Excel sheet file, that, that, that's, that, no, that's not what God's saying. Make sure you have a good Excel sheet file, right? That's not what God is saying here. He's saying that it's actually the church. That's why we have these members meetings and we announce, here's our new members, and here are the people that are no longer members. It's because we know that we're accountable to stick to each other, the people that are the members of the church. And so... Um, and so, as we have here, and then, and, you know, the who are the two and three, I think in the context, it's the two and three that we see that have been participating in the church discipline and this, this really, this idea of, of, uh, this is, the, she's talking about the church here. Um, not to say that there's not an importance of gathering for prayer and corporate prayer or small group prayer. Yes, that, that's important. I think that you should find that from other texts, though. I think there's better texts in Acts. Like, in Acts, you see that whenever Christians were gathered, they were praying. Right? And that, in fact, when they, when they needed to pray, they gathered people to pray. So there's better text than this. This isn't talking about, this is not a text for your prayer meeting. This is a text about the local church. And so, uh, but this idea, this assembled people together, which is what we see throughout the New Testament. The New Testament is filled, mostly when it talks about churches, it's talking about local assembled gatherings of Christians, of the church in Corinth and the church in Thess- Thessalonica and all the churches mentioned at the in the beginning of Revelation. It's this regenerate people that's assembled or bound together. It's not just separate individuals. It's not just a, a place, but it's these people that are bound together um, and committed to one another. Um, let's do any questions and comments, and I think we'll leave off the rest for, um, for, for, for next time. Yeah, Elias? Something that I've
1: kind of struggled with, and I just kind of saw something that's really helpful, is you, you pointed out, and it's good to point out, that the word that is translated from Greek, uh-huh. that we call church uh-huh. is
0: an assembly. Yeah.
1: And it was not a special word. Yeah. It was a word used by the secular. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it was, we saw it in Acts, it was a secular gathering of yep. the Ephesian yeah. people. It was not specifically
0: God's people. Yeah. It was just a gathering of people, gathering
1: yeah. of this people, gathering of the Old Testament yeah. people. It's just when a people was gathered together, that's what they called an ecclesia. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, well, it's not a special. Why do we use it as a special word uh-huh. nowadays? And I'm looking at you know Matthew, and Jesus says, "I will build
0: my church." Mm, that's true. Yeah.
1: It's, it's not. I will build. A church. It's, yeah, will build it's church.
0: not just any my assembly. Matthew. It's my my assembled people. people that yeah.
1: Have gathered, uh, mine. And yep. I was looking at the different letters in Second Corinthians says. Um, to the church of God of, yeah. that is at Corinth. Yeah. To the to the gathering of people that are of God yeah. at Corinth. First Thessalonians, um to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. It's these gathering of people, but it's a special gathering yep. of people. How is it special? It's they're gathered and they're
0: of God and yep. they're of the Lord Jesus yep. Christ. That's, so that's a good point. A, I think there's a secondary thing with that as well is that we see why throughout history that the gathering has not been an option for Christians. Yeah. That you look at people today in China, you know, and saying I can't. I read, a, I read, a, or I was read. I listened to a, a letter or a statement from a Chinese pastor, and they're under pray for our brothers and sisters in China. They are in, under incredible persecution. Uh, many mission, uh, tons of missionaries have been kicked out in the last six months. Uh, the government's really cracking down. But the, the Chinese, the, the Chinese pastor said, it, it, you know, that, that it, it, this is not an option for us to gather on the Lord's Day. It's not an option. That this is what we do as Christians, is we gather. That we are the church when we gather. It's not saying that we're not part of the church when we're scattered, but it's saying that there is a particular aspect that, of what it means to be the church is that, that we gather together. And, and he says that we will, we, will, we, we will participate in civil disobedience if we have to, but we will gather because Christ to remember Christ in, in the day of his resurrection and I think that there 's a remembering of that that as, as Christians is that there is a special way that we are the church because of that idea of what it means to be the church is to assemble together is to gather together that 's what what makes us uh, what we do on Sunday so important and so uh, next, and two, so next week we 're going to hear from Prajwal about uh, things in Nepal. I want to leave you with a question. We're going to look next week a little bit more about what does it mean that the church is a, a regenerator or a gospel people and is assembled people and an ordered people. But I'm going to one of the things I want to look at is what's the difference between a church and a group of Christians who have coffee every Friday morning together? What's the difference? Because there's a lot of similarities, right? But is a group that meets every Friday morning to have coffee together to read the Bible and pray and encourage each other, is that a church? Well, think, So think about that one. Uh, think about that one let that brain uh, twist around in your brains, and we'll we 'll look at that and look think through that biblically in, in two weeks. Um, let me pray for us, Father, we thank you, and we thank you, Lord, that you have you have not just saved us, but we who are once not a people, once we were outside the people of God. You've brought us in to be part of your people. You've reconciled us to yourself and to your people as we gather to worship with with people of, of different backgrounds and different ages and different preferences, Lord, and, and, and different socioeconomic situations, Lord. We, we gather, not, Lord, with, with them, just not because we like them, not because we get something from them, not because they're just like us, but because, Lord, that, 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 that we love you and we love your people because they are your people, that we are the church of God. We are Christ's church, and we, we thank you for that, and we worship you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen.